This is Tangent Party, a show about the things we get lost in. Each week we start off with a rabbit hole that sucked us in and see how many tangents we can generate. Today I'm your host Vance, and me, Corinne. Whoop, whoop. So Corinne, do you have a tangent for me? You bet. Uh, one of the things that I've always been fascinated by is uh, is Japanese culture. In, in many ways, I feel like the land of the rising sun is also a land of rising contrasts. Like Japan has the best of everything. You know, they're the best whiskey, like best suits, best watchmakers, like best you know sushi uh, sushi chefs, best knife makers. If you want the best of something, it's usually Japanese. Like whiskey is a great example. Like obviously, the you know whiskey was invented in, in, in or Scotch was sort of perfected in Scotland, but Japanese whiskey is like some of the best in the world, right? But well, it, seemed it, to... it has a very distinct style that's very good and unique. Yeah, that's what blows my mind. The Japanese tend to take things that are associated with other cultures, like say watches or suits, yep. and, and, and like elevate that craft is, is what I was trying to get at. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say outside of like... Outside of American and Europe, I can't think of any other country, Asian countries which have a distinct whiskey that people would, would seek out, right? Right, right. And the, on the flip side, I also find that Japan has some of the most bizarre and like archaic practices. Like for, instance, like, like for instance, the age of consent in Japan is 13. Yep. You know, there's an epidemic of uh, suicides. There's this yep. you know, whole trend of like sexless marriages. And then you have this, you know, bizarre uh, Japanese school rules around hair and underwear color, right? So, for instance, did you know that in in the city of uh, Nagasaki, nearly sixty percent of the two hundred and forty odd public schools demand that pupils wear white uh, underwear? Why is that? <laughs> well, a lot of I think a lot of it's got to do with like discipline and. And like fitting in because Asian culture is so much about fitting in. Right. I think a lot of that stuff like is inculcated at the school level, like in junior high and, and senior high school. Right. Right. And then and then apparently like sometimes schools will like monitor in the in the gym class what color underwear you're wearing. And if you're wearing the wrong color underwear, then you're like you'll basically be asked to like remove your underwear. Like what oh, I don't man. understand is what do you do once you remove your underwear? You just walk around in commando like I don't get it. Like, you know, it's, do they have like spare underwear that's white color so you can wear it while, uh, while you know, while you're playing uh, or participating in gym sports? Like, I, I, is this so bizarre? Like why they would ask you to remove underwear? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't, I did not know that fact. And, and yes, definitely they must have spare underwears because the idea of like enforcing discipline by like having people take off their underwear, like no, no good can come from that. Yeah. What if some, what if some guy likes it? What if he's like, sure, I'll go commando. Like, you know, <laughs> I, like, I don't get the point of asking people to remove their underwear unless you have like spare ones available. I guess it's just pure discipline, right? I think so. And I think, and it's the same thing with hair. So I grew up in Asia. I grew up in like Singapore and, and Brunei and India. And one of the things that happens in Asian schools and a lot of North Americans will find this incredibly bizarre is that every morning before class, you have like this outdoor gathering. You basically, you, you organize, you self-organize in rows according to your class and your standard. You start the day off by singing the national anthem. Sometimes teachers will do like a surprise hair check. And if your hairstyle is like undeemed unruly, they'll have a barber like cut it on spot. Like no questions asked. They had a barber like on call, ready to go. Yes, yes. 
but not all the time, but on the days when they would do these spot checks. Oh wow, that seems like a that seems like it's the the barber union basically getting in there. It's like you gotta get me three days a week. We gotta get some of this unruly hair. Yeah, right. And it's it's just it's crazy. It's like uh, it's such a personal invasion of privacy. Yes. And I remember one time in Singapore, I think I was like 16 or 17 at the time. And I had like full grown beard at that time already. Mm -hmm. And I think one day I didn't shave, forgot to shave. I don't remember. But during one of these inspections, my hair was okay. But they were like, oh, you got facial hair. You got to shave it off. And I was like, okay, like, you know, I can just do it tomorrow. What's the big deal? Right. They're like, no, you got to shave it like right now. And then I'll go to the barber and the barber was like, oh, I don't have shaving cream. I'm like, what do you mean? It was like, well, I didn't bring any shaving cream. I didn't know I was going to like shave somebody. And then I was like, well, figure figure something out. It was like, well, I don't have anything. And the teacher was like, no, you got to shave this guy right now. So I got like the driest fucking shave of my oh, life. Man. So I'm like, I'm sitting there just basically grimacing because it's like, you know, it's basically taking like a Gillette Mach 3. They didn't right. have five fucking blades back then. <laughs> If you had two blades in your fucking Gillette razor, you know, that was a, that was a good day. Yeah, you're imagine, lucky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just imagine sitting there and then, you know, just somebody like just dry shaving you. It's the worst experience ever, man. That's brutal. And like, and that barber, like you have, you have two potential jobs. You have to cut hair and potentially do shaves. That is literally the only jobs that you have here. And you don't even have that. And But that teacher is just like, no, make it happen. Yeah, and you know the funny thing about you know if this was North America, like people would lose their shit. Somebody would like tweet about this, like students would would go on a strike, like schools would get shut down, like teacher like parents would complain to teachers. But like Asia is like okay, whatever, you know, big whoop, fuck off, you can't do shit. Even if your parents complain, the the, the headmaster will tell you to fuck off. Schools have a lot of power, especially in a, a country like Singapore. I've always wondered about that, and is the idea that do schools have a lot of power to exercise like like over students or are just in general, like in those Asian cultures, like this example, like that's very invasive, right? Like it's, it's, you're physically like harming a student. Would they just interpret that as not physically harming you by shaving with a, with like without shaving cream? Or is it just like in general, there's an acceptance in Asian cultures that, that physical discomfort like is, is just a, a acceptable physical discomfort is allowable. That's, that's a really good question. I think part of it is that schools, and teachers have a lot of have a lot of respect and have a lot of say. You know, they, they ultimately hold a lot of power and schools are expected to, you know, Asian, Asian cultures just have a, I think, a stronger culture of discipline. It's, it's considered not beyond their sort of scope, so to speak, to inflict this kind of uh, punishment for something right. you did wrong. I'll, I'll tell you an example. Once again, this is Singapore, which probably makes it sound like Singapore is some like draconian city state. I mean, I had, a, I, had a, I had a good time in Singapore in school. Don't get me wrong. But some of my most memorable events are from Singapore. Well, Singapore is famously draconian draconian in their laws. Like Weird Al Yankovic has a song about it. Like it is very famous in their, how draconian they are of their laws. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I, I guess I'm normalizing a little bit. I'll tell you a story and I'll let you, I think uh, I'll, I'll let you make up your mind. I was in grade 10 at the time. And in Singapore, in Asia, you have these like school days. I don't know if that's a thing in North America. We have like a sports day where everybody takes a day off. You go to like a field and you have a whole bunch of different events, track, track and uh, field events. North American schools do have that. At least Canadian schools do have that. It's usually the second to last day of school. Right. Know, or, or second to last day of a semester. And that's probably a bit of a holdover from the uh, British education system, I suspect. 
and and so we had that one of those in in, in Singapore as well. And I there was a incident where one of these students, basically a Lothario, told a teacher to basically fuck off, like in those exact terms, like fuck you or fuck off. Oh wow! So really, really going up, great going for it. Yeah, yeah. This guy was asking for trouble. So basically, obviously, gets reported up to the to the to the principal, and uh, you know this this kid had to be punished, right? And oh, his yeah. punishment was basically they called the entire school to like the school gymnasium gymnasium or the hall. And then everybody gathers as a school together. And then they, they bring out this, you know, they, they announce the the punishment and they announce the name of this kid and what he did. And they like, they, they bring him, they parade him out onto the, the stage and they give him like a, a table, like one of those writing tables. And so he like, like bends over it. And then he exposes his, like his ass. And then the teacher came and it carries like 12, like a 12 foot rattan, you know, like those bamboo canes. Yeah. And I... takes a big swing and just like wax him, like in front of the entire school. Like, and not once, not twice, but like three fucking times, right? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's the kind of, that's like, that's the kind of punishment, like, that's the kind of public humiliation you would face, like, for, for telling a uh, teacher to fuck off, right? And like, if that happened in Canada, like, like people would riot in the streets. Yeah. People would lose their fucking shit. That's actually, I think you hit, that's the fascinating thing about that is like, yes, it is physical, physical pain, but the real, the real pain is the public humiliation. Like that's, that's psychic damage. That's like a mental attack. That's going to run with you for a long time. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not saying I agree with it. I think, I think, I think the psychological damage I think is far deeper. I don't know if that kid learned anything. I don't know what happened to the kid. I don't know if this incident, you know, made him into a better person or pushed him further down the dark hole of criminal life. He's a teacher right now. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that the circle of life? Yeah, there you go. But but I have all these amazing stories of school life in in Asia that I think would blow people's minds. Like, do you have anything like that from your high school days in, in Calgary? No, because like teachers are famously toothless here, right? Like, like they can't like the, the phys- physical stuff is completely off the table, like completely off the table, right? And and that that removes that removes a lot. You talk to my parents, like or older generations, especially those who are being being done by like a teacher or a I'm not a teacher, but especially if if you're if, if for the baby boomers, if you went to a school that was run by nuns, you, you your hands were going to get uh, whacked with a ruler. Like that was that was the, the nun power move apparently for baby boomers. But as like like growing up, like one, I was a very good kid. But in general, like the only tools they had was detention. I the the worst thing that ever. Like, it's not even that worse. We had, there was this one teacher, and this was in our junior high, and he was actually a fantastic teacher. But his power move was for the first two weeks. He would be insane hard ass and he would try to, and he would make kids clean the toilets. Like that was, that was his power move would make kids clean the toilets. No attention, just that. And he would, so for the first three weeks, it was like Maverick playing poker. He would, the whole, his whole shtick was that he would lose um, his cowboy character. He lose the first hour of poker and then learn about strategies and didn't just be everyone. This teacher's power move was, I was going to be insane hard ass for the first three weeks. And the rest of the school, you are going to be this super chill, outgoing guy, because he basically wants to just instill fear. Like basically says, I can, I can, I can instill fear in you if need be, but because I want to be loose, I don't want to deal with anyone acting bad in my classroom. 
Interesting. So he was he was playing his own good cop, bad cop. Yes, a hundred percent. He was he was hundred <laughs> percent. And it was it was interesting because like, kids aren't dumb. They they pick that stuff up, right? But that being said, though, I think the thing you realize is that one, the first three weeks is he's looking for an example, so don't be the example. Right. And after that, if if you you know that it, it worked though, it was it, it worked in terms of establishing. It, it very much worked in terms of that. If, if you start acting out of line. He's willing. He's willing to make you clean that toilet, man. He's willing to, and like clean a toilet, not a big deal, right? It really is like it's all social humiliation. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I see, and and that's that's the kind of stuff that, like, detention was never a thing when I grew up. Really? No, and- like it, detention is such a bizarre concept to me because I grew up in India where I went to like a. Uh, a Catholic school where I was taught by nuns, a fantastic education, mm-hmm. but uh, an archaic punishments. I would get wrapped on my knuckles by nuns. I would be asked to uh, kneel down. Was that a thing here? No. And again, like my parent, like my, our parents, like again, baby boomers, people born in the fifties. Yeah. If they happen to go to a school run by a Catholic church, the, right. the, the absolute most would be that they're, like nuns apparently hate knuckles. They love, love, love fucking up knuckles apparently. Cause that was, the, that was their move, but not in my lifetime, I guess. Like the, the idea of, of, of physically hating a student is like absolute no way. I guess things evolved pretty quickly in, in, in North America, but in Asia, I'll tell you another example of, of mm-hmm. something that, that cracks me up now. But once again, if this happened in North America, people would lose their shit. So I was in Brunei at the time. I was in junior high. Mm-hmm. We had a break between a couple of periods and somebody found a Coke can, crushed it down, and we started playing soccer in the classroom. We just basically cleared all the tables and the chairs and started kicking around this flattened Coke can, you know, playing sure. football, right? And of course, some some idiot, you know, always has to kick it so hard. Yep. And he kicks it so hard, it basically goes flying straight into the blackboard and leaves like this massive hole, like oh. massive dent, right? Holy. And, yeah. And, uh, and of course, what do we do? We like quickly clean up our act, put all the benches and chairs together and then get ready for the next period and like pretend like nothing happened. Right. So the next, yeah. the, the teacher comes in, walks into the room, takes a look at the board, sees the big hole and does an about immediate turn. It goes to the principal's office and grabs the principal. Right. <laughs> and then the principal's like, what the fuck? Like who, who does this like fess up? Right. And so, of course, nobody fesses up. Like nobody's, no, like nobody's a snitch. You know, even back yeah. then, you knew snitches get stitches, right? So nobody's right. gonna uh, say nothing. So the punishment for the entire class, and the class was like maybe only twenty, uh, and it was an all boys school. So the punishment was to go stand out in the sun with our shirts taken off. What? And just, yeah, just get and just get hit hard by thirty degree, hundred percent humidity sun. What? And that was the punishment. <laughs> <laughs> and we just stood there like idiots like sweating our like sweating our balls and i think i i don't know if somebody confessed i don't remember anymore we were eventually let go and i remember telling that to my mom yeah uh that day and she was like good you did something wrong <laughs> <laughs> and i think and you were asking me the question right why do schools get away with this kind of stuff in asia yeah. it's because the parents condone it because i think there's a certain expectation that the school's like as a parent, I'm giving you, giving the school uh, a right to discipline my kid and put him or her in their place if they did something wrong. And I think that there's that freedom given. Right. Whereas it, I think in North America, it, it's considered like an invasion of 
parental duties, right? The school doesn't have the right to take this action because this the student is not your kid. Only I, as a parent, get the right to mete out this sort of a punishment if I deem so. Yeah, there's like a uh, bigger boundary in, in North America, I think. Oh, absolutely! Like the idea of of anyone doing physical harm to your kid, regardless of discipline ma- manner or not, unacceptable. You don't have a right to do this, right? But even, and I think it's extra emphasized by the fact that even the concept of spanking your kid in North America is a, a super controversial. You always have a little micro uh, culture war in terms of like, is it can you spank your kid? Is that acceptable? Some people are like, yes. Some people are definitely never, never, never. And so the idea of a teacher like doing physical harm? No way. N- did you did you get spanked as a kid by your parents? No, I did not. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Like, yeah I think I maybe, got spanked all the time. Oh, but I'm I was sure. also a dick. <laughs> <laughs> but did all your friends get spanked too? Like in India? Probably. Like I, I can't vouch for it, but probably. Like high probability. It's it's a cultural thing, right? Uh, oh, especially absolutely. back in the 80s. And before that, all the boomers got spanked and they basically spanked all their millennial kids. It's I know it's a very controversial topic here, mm-hmm. but you know, just because I got spanked doesn't mean I was like ruined for the rest of my life. It's not like a life-altering damage, psychological damage that you inflict on your kids. Right. I don't know. Maybe there's research out there that you know says that you damage kids by spanking them, but I'm not damaged. Right. Well, I think I think a lot of it has to do to just that it's not the most it's not the most effective way to discipline your kid. Like in the moment it feels good, but it actually it actually teaches the kid wrong lessons in terms of like how to how to enact your will in the world, which is through violence. I don't know about that. That's yeah. that's equivalent to saying that if you play video games, if you play violent video games, then you'll go out and commit violent acts. That's the exact reasoning that was used to shut down, to try and shut down video games. No, no, no. That The difference is that that logic was definitely applied to that, which is a whole different tangent. But I think the bigger thing, though, is no matter how you look at it, though, as a parent, if your kid is misbehaving and your only means of, like, demanding, like, respect is through physical violence, like, it's... And, and that's, the way, that's the way it used to be, right? And it's... Again, it's a tool. It's a tool you have in your belt as a parent, and uh, yeah, see, and that, and that's where maybe I disagree because you could argue that you could, rather than using spanking, you could use verbal abuse as a way to discipline your kid, and that's not in any way better than spanking either. So it's a tool, much like uh, anything else, and you have to use it in 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 balance. So I think I think to say that somehow, <clears throat> you know. I think like anything else in life, it's about balance, right? Yeah. So you, you don't want to be spanking your kid every day, all day, all the time, because then maybe after a while it loses its uh, power as well. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think to say that it's a worse form of discipline, I don't know. You can take any discipline and make it really draconian and take it to the next level and, and sort of uh, create long-lasting damage on your, on your kid, right? Yeah, I guess in general, and this is just my philosophy of kids, is like to try to never ever do the physical aspect because ultimately it's harder to discipline them without that, but it, it pays off in terms of better better behavior in the long term, I will say. Mm. Because the, the, the other strategy, they're just basically writing from you effectively, right? Like that's that's the problem. Like when you're about to spank them? <laughs> yeah, basically. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. That's just in general, though. Like in India, like the there's just a lot more physical pushing, right? You can get pushed by like a police officer, right? Or you could be like pushed into a train or just stuff like that. Like that is acceptable. And part of that, I think, is driven by the fact that that being pushed around is kind of reality of, of, of having to get this many people through these small spaces. Because you're used to just having to be pushed around by someone or shoving your way into a train, into an insane occupancy train. Like it's just the reality right. of it. Right. And I think since since you get so used to having to live with those discomforts and kind of violations of personal space, that that extends to just the way you think about a lot of these other things. I don't know. That seems like very convenient mansplaining that oh. has no basis in scientific scientific thought. Yeah. Well, based on our counterpoint, just say, well, it's just a cultural thing. And probably it's definitely a cultural thing. There's no doubt about it. In in most of Asia, that you know, corporal punishment is an acceptable form of punishment, and it's not treated like like a big deal that it's treated in in North America. But it's the interesting thing then is so this was also like 100 years ago or 80 years ago, uh, Canada was aligned with that in terms of like some not corporal punishment, but in terms of just like physical f- physical discipline was allowed in schools. Right. So now it's absolutely not allowed. So yeah. why why did Canada go this way? Because they started at a very similar place. You know, that said, I don't know where Singapore is right now or, or India or, or Brunei is in terms of physical discipline in schools. Like I haven't lived in those countries for like 20 years. This is, you know, back in the day, right? 20 years ago when I was living in Singapore. I don't know how disciplines um, evolved. I mean, Singapore has one of the, actually it's got a superior education system to Canada. So maybe they have also moved away from that form of physical disciplining approach. So it's possible that it, the, the world has evolved to a point where physical disciplining is considered to be a no-no even in, uh, even in Asia. My, my stories are dated. That, that, that's absolutely fair. That's absolutely fair. That's interesting, though. Why do why you say, think Singapore has a better school system in Canada? Just Google the school rankings. You'll see uh, Singapore, South Korea, like rank in the top 10. I, I don't think Canada barely breaks the top 10. U.S. doesn't break the top 10, right? But that's interesting. And this is something I, I always look at when, so the only metric is the ability to pass science and, and math, science and math exams. Yet they, they never created Facebook, right? They never created Google. It's not a Singapore company. Yeah, that's true. I mean, They've created a lot of other things. I don't know what those are. I think you just know Facebook and Google. So you're throwing them out there. Singapore sling. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Indians invented zero. So there you go. Yeah, I I guess my point is it's it's hard to rank schools in general and you can't really even judge them in lots of ways. Like I I don't think it's, you say some schools are definitely inferior to others, but success in the exams does not indicate that you're getting a better education right it just means that in lots of cases it just means that they engineered the school system to pass these arbitrary exams that's what it is that's what passing exams is like you're basically optimizing your learning to pass the exam rather than bettering yourself or or being a critical thinker i guess what would you consider to be a superior education system Oh, I, I don't know and that's this is actually just a, one of my interests i have in terms of is it possible to even accurately me- like? Could, is it possible to actually measure the success of an education system? It's almost impossible, right? Why? Okay, look okay, How about this way? Let, let's rank degrees. So, what's better, engineering degree or, or philosophy degree? 
engineering. Why is that? Because you can get a, a stable paying job right out of university and uh, you can actually, you know, grow in a career and have access to a lot of different opportunities. So it's just the it's it's because it's the money thing. It's you can only you could generate you you could you have more potential to work for a company that pays more money. So if you're if you're talking about how to find fulfilling work, then it's a different metric. Exactly, and that's my point, right? It's literally impossible to assign value to things in lots of ways because how do you want to? gauge the value of something, right? True, true. You're you're saying that inherently we assign as a society more value to STEM education, which is inherently not true. Yeah, I, I think that because I do think STEM education is very important and it's part of it, but I think people I think people understand the value of STEM education because it's like you have a very career because it's very career focused, right? But the right. counterpoint people say is like, well, you probably actually make more money as an electrician. If you, on average, if you do, unless you like climb through the ranks of a corporation, you can make more money as an electrician with like half the education. Therefore, electrician is a superior role. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, at the end of the day, your degree doesn't determine your success and your worth in life. You could be like a philosophy major and go on to find a company or invent a, a new philosophical concept that revolutionizes the world. You can't really inherently say that one degree is better than the other, but STEAM education probably has the most practical value once you graduate university. I would, I would rate it as, as the safe choice. That or law degree. Those are the safe choices. Like the, law, the law degree is more competitive, but the ability to guarantee future returns that's probably yeah. the way to go, right? That's true. Same thing with doctor, same thing with engineer. If you can grind through the four years or 10 years, then yeah, you're just minting money after that. I think philosophy degree is an interesting one that in terms of degrees is probably the hardest one to just like, just take this degree and then turn it into a career path. Yeah. But, but it is the pay me though of like probably bettering you as a person. That's true. And, it probably sharpens your critical thinking, right? Oh, absolutely. Actually, I think that's actually one that the problems I think with STEM degrees in general is that they need more critical thinking in there. And the emphasis on STEM degrees, I think, has actually caused a lot of like the smartest people are actually the dumbest people in the world. Yeah, I can see that. I think oftentimes engineers aren't the most they get tunnel vision into specific things, right? They're not able to take a big picture perspective or see things from a different uh, angle that maybe someone like an artist is able to do. Yeah. But I, I would say, I think those liberal arts degrees, I think they have a lot of value, but they're probably best teamed up with like one another degree or you get out and then you, 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 you set yourself on a path, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I know a common friend of ours, she got her undergrad in English lit. And mm -hmm. I remember making a comment to her one day, that after graduation, I would see her in Starbucks as a barista, and she was she did not she did not like that. Comment. Weird. Why do why why do you think she not like that comment? <laughs> <laughs> and now you know she's starting to become a lawyer. I think that was a journey for her to get from English lit to to law school over a period of thirteen years. I think that's the advantage with STEAM 
degrees is that like you can use it right away once you graduate and the path is i think a lot clearer in terms of uh, what you should be doing and if you're interested in steam good for you like personally i would never go into pure sciences or pure math i'm personally very happy with becoming an engineer i briefly flirted with the idea of getting a psychology or sociology degree as well i'd have been really interested like doing a dual double major Mm -hmm. but i think after the first semester in engineering i was like no I was going to try and get through these four years in one piece. And uh, I don't have the capacity to do a double degree. Well, I, I think the secret though is if you do a double degree, you take six years and you, and you, and you take courses over summer as well. Right. Or just take a full eight years, which is, that's a lot. That's a lot of school. I, I don't know if I can handle that. But if you like it, it you can probably come out of that like theoretically barely equipped. Right. But you just lost your twenties. So you're starting behind. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. What do you what do you miss about speaking of twenties, what do you miss about being in your twenties? Physical endurance. <laughs> <laughs> in, How about you? in what regard? I'm curious. Oh, just the ability to do no and I actually it's ironic. I I'm actually significantly better shaped than I was in my twenties. But right. my, but my in my twenties, I could just like eat garbage, drink too much, never sleep, and still have a level of energy that was like high functioning. That's and now, true. As, as a, yeah, now someone like kind of middle age, like no way, no way, man. If I if I ate and lived the way I was twenty, one I would be dead, and two, I I, I would be I'll be not functional, right? I would not be able to do the stuff I need to do. That's true. I remember back in the day we would like party Friday night wake up Saturday, like go for brunch and then have a party Saturday night and be okay the next day and like chill. Like I was, you know, I was way more relaxed in my twenties. That's, and and that's what I miss about my twenties. Like I was way more relaxed about life. I was like, there was nothing but like boundless optimism. So so that's fascinating, Corinne, because I knew you in your twenties and you were like kind of a mess in lots of ways. What? What you were always anxious. You were always worried about school. You were always worried about life. You were always angsty about something. Like you were actually a fairly. That's interesting that you remember yourself as being laid back because I would not define you as being laid back. What the fuck are you talking about? Like you used to like hang out all the time, party on the weekends, have like you know have like do stuff you, all the time. But the secret is you 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 live the fun life and you're probably actually. Because be, I think because of your energy, you probably did a lot more than you would have if you had been laid back. But in reality, you were fairly driven. Like you were, you've never been a laid back guy. No, I agree. I think we're confusing. We're confusing things. I'm not saying I was laid back. I was saying I had more boundless optimism about the future. I don't remember being as stressed out back then as you, I can be now in my thirties. You, you're probably you were probably more optimistic in your twenties, but you were. Especially during school times, like out of school, summer breaks, whatever. Yeah, you were you were you were not stressed, but during right. school, like you were hyper stressed about school. Really? I, oh yeah, I find it fascinating that you don't remember that. That's an interesting perspective. If you're saying that I wasn't optimistic, perhaps you were probably optimistic. I I will say that, like you were you you were optimistic, but you were always stressed out. Like it oh, was something that, it, that was a very definitive aspect about you. Interesting. Like even after university, like once we graduated, not once we graduated. Okay, so you're you're thinking about twenties as in university. I'm yeah. thinking about twenties, like once we started working. I think that's the difference. Yeah. Oh yeah. When when you started working, you were pretty chill because you didn't really have that many stresses. You're more angsty. 
yeah, I think I just a lot of drive. I wanted to like accomplish things, right? So I was always like thinking of things to do to yeah. to sort of make Calgary a better place to live. Yeah, absolutely. You were definitely on that. So I think that's what I miss. I think it feels like in my 30s, I'm a little bit more aware of a little less optimistic, like a little bit more, uh, maybe a little bit more cautious, like I've been burnt by life a few times. And I think I've, I'm slightly more, I wouldn't say jaded. I'm not the jaded kind of guy, but slightly less optimistic, I guess. Well, I, I do think a lot of, because I, I would say I'm the same way, though I don't know how optimistic I ever was. I always thought you were incredibly optimistic. Like, I think that's one of the reasons I always hung out with you because you were always like that happy, like optimistic guy. And I think I like fed off that energy to a certain extent. The way I've always defined myself is I'm actually quite the pessimist on about like just what can change. But I think I'm optimistic that the potential lies there and I'd like to support it, which is one, I think good because it, it, it basically means you're real estate young age, I would say. The downside, though, is it also makes you very lazy because you're just like, well, I can't actually change any of this. So I'm just going to try to exist within it as, as much as well as I can, which probably lets me miss opportunities at times. Interesting. So it's almost like uh, it's almost like you don't even try. Yeah. I was like, well, I can't fix this because of these reasons. And therefore, I will not. I'll try to do what I can do. Where in reality, like I'm not as smart as I think I am in those moments because it's not something that I sit down and actually think that, right? This is something that I realized in reflection of like, why didn't I not pursue these things? And it's because at the time, I didn't have faith that they would actually play out. And I think that both protects me from like overextending myself and getting involved in like wasting a lot of effort on something that wasn't going anywhere. But I think it also causes me to identify opportunities and then just also just let them walk out the door as well, if you know what I mean. Yeah, you you're so you're like almost overcautious that you you uh, let opportunities good opportunities go by because maybe you're too afraid to uh, take a chance or jump on the bandwagon. Yeah, I think afraid is the wrong term. I think it's more like just I'm confident this is not going to go. This is this is bad. So it's not that I'm I'm too afraid to get in on the action. I'm just like that's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, you're just being a pessimist. Interesting. Yeah, I never would have thought of you that way because you and I have relatively high amounts of energy. It 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 comes across as somebody somebody who's optimistic, but that's maybe just the surface level. It doesn't showcase the underlying perspective on life. Yeah, but I do think though, as an overall, like there's a macro and micro of things, right? I think as a macro, I'm very optimistic that things are, pro- are progressing in good ways. And what that when I say things are progressing, I don't even know what that means, right? But I do think that like as a as a human race we're probably going to get there. Right. So I am optimistic on that. It's just more micro things of, in terms of, yeah, this project's not going to get off the ground. I don't need to worry about this anymore. Yes. Mm. Interesting. And man, if I had a philosophy degree, maybe I could figure this shit out. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe you just give up on life because everything is meaningless. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be a nihilist is what you'd be. Yeah. Put down that Nietzsche, put it down. (laughs) Oh man, yeah. The character House from the the TV show, yeah, is like the perfect example, right, of someone who's incredibly jaded and pessimistic. But here's the thing I loved about House is okay. I loved the whole show was literally this character shows up, acts like an asshole for 42 <laughs> minutes. Yeah, basically takes like kicks ass, takes no names, yeah, doesn't give a shit, just walks away. 
Yeah, he's literally a god. Any dull guy in the world's like, man, I just wish I could just like walk around with my job and just be a fucking asshole and always be right. <laughs> you know, you know, for a long time I used to idolize the character of House. And oh. now that I've gotten older and I'm like, man, like there's no fucking way this kind of person would ever survive in the real world. Well, because you would have to be perfect. Like, and the sake, House is Sherlock Holmes. So that's the Sherlock Holmes character, too, is that he's a maniac. But the thing about it is that you have to be 100% right on just the most, like, house episodes are also hilarious. Like, I'm not a doctor, but the stuff that they would diagnose, because they would always go through, like, five, like, again, I don't know if you know what house is, that he had five false diagnoses before he right. gets the correct one. But each one is more insane than the last. Like, every episode is like, here's, what if you have, like, 15 insane medical things happen to you in, in 42 minutes? And house is just basically, I'm so right, I'm wrong. Then I'm wrong. I'm so I'm so smart. I'm right. Then I'm wrong for forty minutes of my own episode, and in the last two minutes, I'm always right. <laughs> that's that's true. That's true. It's uh, it's it takes you on a journey of uh, wrongness, and then suddenly he has this like insight. He has this look in this eye in his eye, right? When somebody yes. says something, and boom, just comes to him. Here's a question. So he's hundred percent right, right? Like so, he any question you ask him, he answers the question. You think if you actually. In real life, if you actually could be right 100% of the time, but you were abrasive in every every possible way, you could still have a successful, like super successful career. I think they're basically describing a bully, and I think I think yeah. bullies go on to have a very successful career. And this is the sad fact of life that a lot of bullies often don't get rooted out for a long time because they tend to be exceptionally good performers, and mm-hmm. a lot of companies will often value that performance over the cost of human impact in the workplace. Right. Right. And I think that's a sad reality of our, of our, of our uh, times. So, yeah, I I think unfortunately, yeah, like you can be like house and, and get away with it for a long time, especially if you're right all the time and you're getting results. Like if you're making sales all the time, if you're bringing like a hundred million in sales or whatever, every year, no one's going to touch you no matter how much of a dick you are. Right. I guess it's interesting too, because as they go up the, because theoretically, if you're a high performer, you get promoted, and the higher you get up there, the higher your personality has more human impact, you know? Right. So if you if you get right to the top, if you get bully, like a very aggressive bully at the very top of the company, you basically impact, you're basically bullying all your workers, right? At some point. I mean, at, at that point, it feels like they're almost like a sociopath, right? Right. They probably don't care about. The, the human cost or the impact it's just they're probably a little bit narcissistic as well it's oh, yeah. all about them and uh, and and less about what impact they have so it's yeah it's not the greatest situation to be in I, like i was when i was in the oil patch mm-hmm. uh, I, I was at a startup a long time ago and and one of the vps there was definitely very much of a bully and it definitely impacts your mental health quite a bit so it's i've been lucky since then that i've never been in that situation but uh, it happens all the time man yeah, no, it makes sense. Like sometimes I think people misinterpret like like that the bully behavior type as leadership, you know? Right, right. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've noticed that over over time, leadership style has evolved over the last decade in the world, or at least in Calgary. I've noticed yeah. that there's more focus on these nice guy type personalities uh, who are more humble leaders. Yeah, and who genuinely sort of care about their people, and uh, 
maybe adopt that servant leadership mentality, at least in some of the workplaces I've been. I know it's not like that across the city. I know if you go to the Calgary Police Service, it's more of a probably a top-down uh, leadership style, right? That's just how right. those organizations run. I mean, the well, Calgary I, Fire Department, as an example, I think has a strong history of racism that just got exposed, I think, earlier in the year. So I, think that's, I don't think that's true everywhere, but I've been lucky in that I've been exposed or been under leaders like that. Though I think those more forceful personalities work a lot better on companies companies that are growing. I'm going to say growing because, you know, companies are always growing. But, you know, what I mean by that, like expanding, like aggressively expanding. Those personalities work a lot better. But in reality, like they're not good at, they, they're not actually good at operating the company, right? They're, they're good at fighting, but they're not good at really anything else. Like this, mm-hmm. again, this goes right back to Winston Churchill, right? People love him. They put statues everywhere. People did not want him to did not want him to run their country when they weren't at war. That's right. That's right. So I think, yeah, I think it's sort of the right personality for the right stage of the company, right? I do think, and to be frank, rapid growth. If this person's making you money and he's not like breaking any laws, you you could deal with him being a little bit crude in the office, you know? Yeah, but perhaps that's the rationalization that's uh, that's made, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, should we should we wrap that up? It was a short one, but we, we that was a very natural end. Let's count down the tangents for the week. So we started off with super strict Japanese school rules. Then we talked about Asian school cultures and how Asian schools have so much power. Then we talked about a lot of my school experiences growing up in Asia. And then we went into your high school experience. And then we we talked about spanking, like physical discipline versus versus like this non-physical discipline kids and the effectiveness and if if that still works in, in today's uh, day and age. And then we somehow pivoted into what does a good education mean? And then had this big conversation, philosophical conversation about what's a better degree, STEAM or philosophy. And then from there, once again, did a big tangent on what did we miss about our 20s and how House TV show was just crazy and how Gregory House was just an amazing character that kicks ass, takes no names. And then from there, there was a natural pivot, I guess, into abusive personalities and the acceptance in corporate culture. And then we finally ended with uh, self-referencing our own podcast episode about Churchill and congratulated ourselves for being amazing podcasters. So that's a total of three, six, nine, ten, eleven tangents today, which I think is a pretty pretty standard count for us. Still average, I think. I think so. I think so. Didn't break, which is which is good. I think it was felt like a very natural conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we went some weird places in this one. For sure, for sure. Well, that's it, folks. Thanks for tuning in to another week of Tangents and Rabbit Holes. You can always drop us a line at tangentparty.yyc at gmail.com with your thoughts, ideas, feedback, or if you just want to say hello. Please follow us at tangentpartyyyc to get the latest updates. As always, hit subscribe to get notified of our latest episodes. Thank you very much. Thank you.